You're listening to episode 28 of the Journey to Launch podcast, how to increase income and manage expenses so that you can find the right balance in your finances. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. This episode is going to be a special treat, especially if you like personal finance podcast, which I assume because you're listening to this one. But I have some awesome guests on. I have the duo from the Paychecks and Balances podcast, Rich and Marcus. And so that's going to be a real fun treat for you guys. I had a great time talking to them. But before we hop right in, just some housekeeping. One, if you are enjoying this podcast, if this is your first time listening and you need to try it out for a bit, that's okay. Listen, listen to this episode, go back and listen to a couple more. But if you've been listening and you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe if you listen on iTunes. That helps with the visibility of the podcast. And listen, if you don't listen in iTunes or on an Apple product, totally fine. You can find this podcast anywhere. So as long as you're sharing this with your family and friends, sharing on social media, get the word out there about Journey to Launch if you're enjoying the content. Also, if you want any of the episode show notes, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 28. So anything I mention in the interview with Marcus and Rich, you'll be able to get those links there. Also, make sure if you want to stay more connected with me, you join the private Facebook group. You can do that by going to journeytolaunch.com slash community or just search Journey to Launch in Facebook. And if you really want to stay connected and in the know, make sure you are subscribed to my weekly newsletter. I send a newsletter out every Wednesday morning, just basically giving you all the updates about me and Journey to Launch so you won't miss a thing. And you can sign up for that anywhere on my site, journeytolaunch.com. Also, a big thing is happening this week. And by the time you hear this, it would have already happened. But I am going to actually be featured on CBS Channel 2 New York. And the feature airs actually on Tuesday. So I'm actually recording this on Sunday night. And so I have not watched the actual feature because it hasn't aired yet. But by the time this episode comes out on Wednesday, it will have aired. And if there's a link that I can share, it will be in the episode show notes and it will be on the blog and all my social media stuff. But basically, it's really just sharing how I saved the $85,000. And it's pretty insane that I'm going to be on CBS. I mean, it's a huge network, um, CBS News at that. And so I'm pretty excited. I don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. I know I shot it a couple months ago. I know what I said. I think I remember what I said. But, you know, it's one thing to think back and when you're in your own body experiencing something, then like seeing the actual product or seeing what it actually looks like on TV. That's insane. So by next week on the next podcast, I'm sure I'll have a lot of reflections and takeaways from the whole experience because I have no idea what will happen from this interview or this feature. It can be seen by a few couple hundred people, I guess, and my life goes on or maybe something else happens. Who knows, right? So this is pretty exciting, pretty scary, but I'm excited to share my journey with more people 
And that's the whole point is I do want to impact as many people as possible to reaching their financial goals and showing them that if I can do it, anyone can do it. So just a little bit about the episode today with Rich and Marcus, you know, it's really important to look at both sides of your balance sheet, the income and the expenses. And so increasing your income means you're making the most out of your paychecks and your job and decreasing your expenses means you're managing your debt and paying yourself first. And so I like the perspective that Marcus and Rich bring because their podcast, their platform really helps to have people sort out why and how to do that with their finances. And what I do enjoy with them is that they're very realistic and they do advocate for being responsible with your money, but also being able to enjoy yourself and make the most out of your money. So I think this will be a really, really good podcast for you guys. So let's not delay. Let's hop right into this amazing interview with Rich and Marcus from the Paychecks and Balances podcast. Hey guys, I am so excited to have very special guests on the podcast today, Rich and Marcus from Paychecks and Balances podcast. Hey guys. Hey, thanks for having us. How's it going? Good, good. So I wanted to have you guys on because one, I really enjoy your podcast and your perspective your fresh perspective, your just fun and down-to-earth approach on finances. But just in case my audience does not know who you are, can you quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, so uh, most people know me for having a face for radio. Not really, but I figured (laughs) I would just start there. Yeah, I'm actually a a recruiting manager by day. been working in HR and recruiting for about a decade now. Over the past few years, I started thinking a lot more about getting my personal finances together. Sorry. And this is Rich. This is Rich, right? Talking. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like so Who's talking? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I've been working in recruiting in HR for a decade, climbed my way in the middle management. And within the past few years, I got to that point where I was like, all right, it's time for me to get my stuff together. And when I started looking for blogs and podcasts, I didn't really find content out there that spoke to me. It was dry or it made me feel bad about myself. And that was a big part for us starting the podcast to create something that really spoke to millennials, that was relatable, that was fun, and that was easy for people to listen to, you know, because money doesn't have to be a boring topic. And I am Marcus. Hopefully you can slowly over time place the faces with the voice. I assume you'll have a picture to refer to. My backstory, I've actually been an auditor for about 10 years, so some people know exactly what that is. Most people misconstrue it, so the easiest way I can explain it is, I used to be able to say I never worked for the IRS, but actually when I did, it was just a part-time job that anybody can get, like working at Walmart. But basically, I look at what people should be doing and what they are doing and try to close the gap because it never matches. So I've been doing that for about 10 years. And similar to Rich, worked my way into middle management. I'm a manager now. And then I transferred over to training and staff development. So as a day job, I actually train other auditors. So world, you are welcome. Whenever you get an audit, you can thank me. Hopefully they'll be (laughs) doing their job. I just try to be the neighborhood friendly auditor, let people know that you can have a personality and be an auditor. That seems to be a stereotype that I try to prove untrue. But most people actually know, as far as what we talk about on the podcast, I wrote a book, Debt Free or Die Trying, How I Buried Myself in $30,000 of Debt and Dug My Way Out. Didn't know anything about podcasting, but Rich was a reliable gentleman that I had known on the internet for about five years, and we had worked on a number of ventures. He reached out to me, I guess about four years ago now, I was about to say one year, about four years ago now, and said, hey, we're going to start a podcast. I'm still learning what that means, but apparently I've been doing it for about three to four years now. You kind of talked a little bit about you guys came together to create this podcast, Paychecks and Balances. But what does that mean? What does the name mean? What 
really is the basis of what you're all about. It's really about the combination of work and money and how that can help you live the life you want. So paychecks, that's more of the work side of the podcast. So that's me. And balances, that's Marcus. Got out of over $30,000 of credit card debt. So it's really just kind of a play on that. I'm kind of the work half of the show, though I've had my own personal finance journey. And of course, Marcus with the book, everything that he's done to get out of debt by age 30 and just making sure that we keep it light and fun. We could have went with something dry that was just straight to the point, but we were just kind of like, you know what? We want this to be lighthearted. We want it to be fun. We want it to be something that people are actually going to listen to. And we want people to know that it's not just two experts who are going on and on about all of the things that people are doing wrong, but we've made the mistakes and we're still making mistakes. We're still making mistakes and we're right there with the people today. Yeah, and I try to, for the people trying to do the math at home, I try to represent for the senior millennials. I am the slightly older half of the show, which Rich likes to remind me about because I think he's like <laughs> a year and a half younger than me, but somehow we don't get the same references. Right. It's I like five joke. months, man. It's like five months, man. <laughs> you, know, you act like you've never seen TV shows that I've seen. So anyway, I try to you know represent <laughs> the low tech half of the show. I'm always struggling trying to keep up with technology and falling further and further behind. Well, you're probably not as bad as me because I still have an AOL account. Oh, Ooh. no. Oh, <laughs> that's one of my go to jokes. Like, so when I'm looking at someone's resume and I'm like, ooh, this person's going to be str- like AOL, Hotmail, Excite.com. Yeah, I can't let it go. It's my, it's just, I don't know. So I guess I'm old too. <laughs> yeah. Well, a- along those lines, Rich was giving me some feedback. And we actually got this in the show notes, like in the show queue about my resume. You know, I was like, oh, I got this great resource on the show. Let me get some feedback. So I sent my resume out to him. And the harshest, hurtful, but probably best feedback he gave me was, yo, I can't believe you're still using the Yahoo email in 2017. (laughs) I was offended. I'm still actually slightly hurt right now. I'm trying to like hold the tear back and everything. But uh, yeah, I need to convert over to the Gmail apparently. So yeah, it happens. Uh, I somehow managed to get an acquired jobs, but if I want to acquire another job, I think I need to update the resume, it seems. Well, this is actually a good transition, believe it or not, into... (laughs) making the most out of your paychecks. So that's one of the reasons I also wanted to have you guys on is because I like the fact that you guys touch upon both sides of the balance sheet, increasing your income and then keeping your expenses in check. So Rich, because you work in the HR field, can you just give some tips? I know you work in recruiting, but how can a listener, anyone who wants to improve their income in the job that they have, how can they go about doing that? Well, the first thing, regardless of income, is making sure you understand where your money's going. And there's a lot of people who make a lot of money or they go through their career and they're making more and more and more. And I've been through this myself where it feels like, all right, I'm progressing financially and professionally, yet I'm still feeling like I'm living paycheck to paycheck. So one of the first things I tell people to do is, yo, make sure that you're having money automatically going into a savings account that you can't touch. And then also making sure that you're contributing to your 401k. That's something that I didn't do for years. And I don't know why. Maybe it was my short-sightedness. But for more years than I'd like to admit, I was contributing nothing to my 401k. And it's blatantly free money. And I've been with different companies where they'll actually do a match. Sometimes it'll be up to 5% or or 6% up to whatever the, the allotted limit is. And there are a lot of people who have that opportunity and they're not taking advantage of it. I think the other thing to consider is that 
within your professional journey, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be times where you may have to take a job that doesn't pay as much, but it's something that you really want to do. It's something that's much more aligned with where you want to go in your career. So in the short term, that might feel like a financial step back. But if that puts you on a path where you're really going to be dope and you're really going to be able to excel and exceed and move back up, that's going to put you in a much better financial footing later on in terms of your earnings. And the other thing that I tell people to think about a lot is negotiating power. And there's negotiation when you're looking for a new job, but then there's also negotiation when you're in your current job and you're asking for a raise. And a lot of people really struggle with this concept of negotiating when they get a job offer. Like there are people who are actually afraid that if they try to negotiate, that they're going to have the offer rescinded or have the offer taken away. Or if they've been doing a great job and they keep seeing that their performance reviews aren't turning into more money, they're scared that if they say something, they're going to get on their boss's bad side. Like, yo, ask for it. Mm -hmm. Ask for it. And a lot of people really struggle with that. And Marcus, I know you got that number. I don't know it off the top of my head, but that number about what happens when people don't negotiate from their first job. The difference between 50000 and 55000 over the career is 630000 So a 15 and sometimes even five-minute discussion. And similar to Rich, I've been on the hiring manager side now. I've been on the hiring panel. And I've literally never rescinded an offer because someone has made a reasonable negotiation. In fact, I encourage offline. It's not something I can have, unfortunately, face-to-face conversation with um, during the hiring phase. But anyone who asks me offline, I say, you need to negotiate your salary. You're leaving money on the table. So anyone who would like a half million more dollars over the course of their career needs to spend that five to 10 to 15 minute discussion negotiating their salary. General rule of thumb, I would say is 10%. It's, I mean, pretty safe. So adding 10% on the initial offer they make you And most people just feel uncomfortable. And I understand that, but I feel like there's too much at risk. And I think most of that uncomfortableness is one, not doing it. And number two, the fear that, well, if they're making me an offer, they're extending me this job, they're doing me a favor. And no, I've known whole departments dedicated to market research and analysis and ensuring that we are making you a comparable offer and package. So you making a reasonable negotiation on the offer that we make you, it's by no means offensive and definitely won't lead to a rescinding of that offer. And I think the key word is reasonable, because like you said, if it's reasonable and it's not too far out of touch with reality, then that's not as shocking or it's not a turnoff versus if you don't know your market, if you're not doing your proper research, you offer something that's totally out of market, totally not in scope of what that job requirement is, you could possibly be turned away or just, you know, looked at uh, or pushed aside. But again, if you do that research, you can make a reasonable offer. I like that 10% increase. Yeah. And some people may wonder, did I make this 10% up? No, I did not. I was actually having a conversation with somebody who was considering negotiating their salary. They would see the offer and One thing I would offer, and it was actually a smart idea on her part, was she said, "Okay, I want to take this over to consider. And she asked for a few days and then she came and asked for some advice. So if you're uncomfortable having that face to face discussion, also say that you want to take some time. Rich might have a little bit different time frame because he works with the private sector as far as if a few days is too long. But I've never also heard somebody had an offer rescinded. They say, I want to take it over to consider this. I want to talk to my wife. I want to talk to my kids. Make it up. Say, we want to talk to your dog, whoever you need to negotiate with. (laughs) 
And then you can go off and do this research, assuming you haven't. And I've also seen people, if they're just uncomfortable doing it in a face to face or on the fly conversation, send an email. You know, I appreciate the offer that you've made. I'd like to make this counter offer or negotiate to this rate and then put your rate in there. That way, I think some people are just literally uncomfortable having that conversation face to face on the fly. So there's definitely ways to compensate for that. And I would by no means say that you should lose potentially 600,000 or 500,000 or really any thousands of dollars just because you don't want to take the time to have that discussion. And the other thing that I was just thinking about is a lot of people going beyond the negotiation piece. There's probably people, so there's probably people who are like, I'm not looking for a job. What do I do if I'm in my current job? And I've been shocked by the number of people who don't understand their benefits. And I've been there too. And so when I say benefits, yeah, there's stuff like healthcare, but I'm thinking things like having your cell phone covered, maybe having part of your internet covered. And some of these things are luxuries at companies, but you'd be surprised. A lot of companies have portals and places where employees can get discounts on things. Maybe it's on their cell phone plan. You save 15 to 20% and people don't take advantage of that. So I also encourage people to look into some of those benefits at their company and see if there's anything extra that's offered that's going to help them save money from a month to month basis. And then if you do save money, don't change anything about your spending or try your hardest to not change anything about your spending. And another thing that people do is as they make more money, they spend more money. And so I would encourage people that, yeah, if you do get a raise or you do get a big bonus, rather than just going out and blowing that bonus or saying, all right, now I'm a boss up, try your best to live the same lifestyle that you've been living and bank that extra money. And it's also going to be tied to whatever your professional or even your financial goals are going to be for the future. I'm real big on that and thinking about What's that thing that I really want? And even if it is something materialistic, that's fine. I know Marcus had his remote control car when he was younger. Or (laughs) if it's a trip, if it's going into entrepreneurship, if it's creating a I'm going to leave fund so that work becomes a choice versus a requirement, you got to have that bigger picture goal in mind, which makes it easier in the short term to be able to save and make some of these difficult financial decisions. Mm, Yeah. I want to provide two more context. So Rich knows I like to do this on the show and I'll get it to you for the show notes. So for people who want to hear the full discussion, that was actually episode 68 where we talk about how you can lose that negotiation or use negotiation to make that extra, in this case, 630000 over the course of your career. Another thing that we often talk about, and I feel like for whatever reason isn't discussed enough, is using a cost of living calculator. The one I like is bank rate or CNN money, because I think people underestimate, especially if you're going to move state to state. But I've even seen it be extreme differences for people moving from city to city. So they'll move from a low cost of living city within the same state. And they're like, oh, I'll just ask for 10 percent more. But everything in that new city is 30 percent higher. So you need to be asking for 40 percent more, not 10 percent more because you just lost yourself 20 percent. So keeping that context in mind, I mean, they're all free. So I would say if you don't know what it is, if you do nothing else and you're thinking of and looking for a job outside of, I would say, even your city, but definitely outside of your state, just Google cost of living calculator. And some of my favorites are provided by Bankrate because it's most comprehensive. And CNN Money has a very simple, literally, you just drag what you make now and where you're moving to. And it'll tell you how much you need to be asking for in your new city. Clutch. Right. We will link all that in the show notes for people because I think those are important tools because you're right. So many people do not make these considerations when asking or looking for a raise or looking to make a salary move. And I really do like the idea of looking at your total benefits and compensation package, what your company offers as discounts, because like you said, a lot of that can add up. And I know there are so many people just listening right now who have no idea what type of discount or 
benefits that their company offers and they're there. It's just a matter of calling HR or going on that portal and doing that research, which can take like 10 minutes. Yeah. And even with something as simple or as complex as healthcare, some people just pick the most expensive plan no matter what, even though that may not be the plan that best suits them for where they are in their life. So, you know, when you're younger, it's less likelihood that you're going to incur certain types of ailments. Yes, anyone could walk outside and get hit by a piano or anvil or something like that. But you have people who opt into the more expensive plan when they don't go to the doctor at all. Like there are people who don't go to the doctor for years and they're paying for the most premium healthcare package. And the cost of that can vary a lot from company to company. And so right now, I know probably by the time people hear this, they may have made their enrollment selections already. But that's something else to think about. Are you just defaulting into a plan because that's always what you've done versus does that plan really fit your lifestyle? And yo, a real life, timely, cautionary tale. Also, I think as Rich is alluding to, thinking about what the year will entail. So I realized, and I've been stubborn for a few years, but now it's gotten to the point where I'm going blind. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least I get it at work if I go from my phone screen to my computer screen to a paper document. Like I'll get dizzy because my eyes have gotten too old to focus on all these different things. People who wear glasses know what I'm talking about. So moral of the story is I was trying to be cheap and I was like, I'm going to opt out of this $2 vision plan, (laughs) $2 a month. Now I ain't got no vision coverage and I actually need vision coverage. And to Rich's point, and this actually reminded me, literally the opt-in period just closed in October. So... I'm going to be coming out of pocket for some glasses because I was too cheap to pay $2 a month. So you, you missed it. So you didn't do it. You missed it for next year. Oh, no, it's missed. Yeah. Well, that or I can go another 11 struggle months squinting at my screens, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I got all these wrinkles under my eyes now. So, I, again, I would advise people to also look forward to not only the cost that you have now when you're making those selections, but what do the next 12 months look like on those health plans when you opt in? And the theme of everything we just talked about to summarize is taking action and accountability. So just not letting things just happen to you and just taking what's ever given. It's really asking and figuring out what it is you want to ask for. Like, it's okay to do that research, to take the extra time, because that money that you can either save or increase your income by adds up. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And it took me a while to figure this out. So some people are like, live in the moment, let life happen. And I'm like, ah, I want to control my life. I don't want my life to control me. That might be getting too meta and too deep. But I'm like, I want to have control over everything. I don't want to just be reactionary to everything. Because when you're reactionary, that's when the expenses start to pile up and you start getting debited for things or you're getting late notices or you're forgetting to pay bills or you look in your account and you thought you had more money that's in there. That's what happens when you just let things happen versus actually being forward thinking and being proactive about the life you want and how you're spending your money, which it took me, I'm not going to lie, it took me probably a decade to figure that out, maybe even a little longer than that. I'll say the podcast was probably the impetus for helping me get my money in order the way that I have over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. I would say that that is not too deep for this podcast because that is all what I'm about is like having people walk intentionally through their lives with their finances because The same thing. When I was in my early 20s, when I first started working, I probably did not contribute at all, maybe for like the first year. And then I started, I at least contributed, not even up to the match. I didn't even understand. I didn't care at that point when I was 22, just graduating about what my old 65-year-old, 70-year-old self would need in money. I was just thinking about the moment. And when I look back at it, of course, those are things I would definitely do differently. But it took me some time. It takes people time to come to this realization. But that's what I think the beauty of podcasts like mine's and yours and just the online platforms and ways that people can learn about this stuff is that, you know, 
disseminating all this information is trying to encourage people to think about this earlier. And I would say that even if you're starting later in life, so even if you're in your 30s, even if you're in your 40s, realizing all these things that you need to do differently, it's better you do it now than you never do it or when you are 65 and it's really too late. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter when you start, just that you start. Just imagine that you're robbing your 65-year-old self. So when it comes to stuff like retirement, just imagine seeing your older, more frail self and you're going in their pockets and taking their money. That should help you contribute to your 401k if that's something that's available to you. And maybe you're in a setup where a 401k isn't an option. There's another type of retirement vehicle out there that could probably work for you. But just have that image in your head. And when you don't start thinking about it and you keep putting it off or you're not putting the max in because you just want to splurge in the current, you're robbing your older self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd say using the exact same allocation, honestly, for those folks. And you're not alone. I think it's uh, one in three people have no savings. And I think two in three don't have enough. (laughs) So that being said, if you haven't started, um, one way to get out there is to start with 5% or or I would say even from the earlier, a 10% rule. So you're living on 90% of your income. So most people may be thinking, and again, you're not alone. I think it's like seven in 10 is like, you know, I'm already living check to check. I can't afford to save or put anything to the side. I would say for most people, that's not wholly true because I'd ask those same individuals and I already know the numbers. Do you already have a budget in place? So if you don't know how much you're spending, and I usually break it down to keep it pretty simple, income and outcome, because people start cheating on needs and wants and expenses and all these different budget allocations. So how much is coming in and how much is going out? And if that number is negative or you don't even know the answer, then I don't know how you can make this informed while I live paycheck to paycheck and that's just the way life is and that's the status quo. I'm like, you don't even know what you're doing from month to month. So have an honest conversation with yourself. And one tool that we also have available, again, get for the show notes, is at debtfreeordietrying.com slash budget, 15 minutes. If you got 10 minutes, you got five minutes, you got five minutes between whatever Netflix show you're binging this week. During when it asks you, hey, are you still watching? Pause and spend five minutes. (laughs) And in 15 of those minutes times three, you will have a budget in place. So you'll at least know what does the picture look like. It's a starting point. And I feel like most people don't even take that first step, yet they already feel defeated about the journey. Mm-hmm. So what about the people that are in debt? So Marcus, you climbed out of $30,000 worth of debt. What type of debt was that? Was that student loans or something else? For my case, it was actually mostly just irresponsible spending. I wish I had this really great, man, I was going to school and I got my doctorate, you know, and now I'm a PhD and I'm not. It was actually when I graduated, I had about $9,000 in student loan debt. And I got this thing called a debt consolidation loan. It was about across three credit cards. And I didn't even know what a debt consolidation loan really entailed. And I think that's what's so amazing about both financial ignorance and ignorance is bliss, but I was youthful. And I just thought money just seemed to literally come from trees. Like they were like, oh, well, here's a $10,000 loan. I was like, ah, I'll just pay it back whenever I pay it back. And I just went out on a spending spree. And when it was all said and done, I ended up paying off one car. I bought a new car with rims and I then went through the consolidation loan, but I wasn't done. I got a 0% interest, $3,000 loan on a flat screen TV. Now, some people are like, you must have added a zero. I swear to you, TVs used to be $3,000 when they first came out. And I I was like, yo, I need me one of those flat screen TVs in my life. And these 0% interest loans, as someone said on our show, it's just debt and disguise. 
So I went out there and in one weekend, in my case, I actually spent $26,000. And for some reason, for some people, that's going to be like, oh, wow, 26000 For some other people, they're going to be like, is that all? And regardless of the journey, when it's separated from you electronically, which in a lot of cases this was, you're like, I'll just get it back. We had another guest on the show where you don't see credit cards as little loans. And that's really our little four by four or whatever they are, four by two loans. And every time you swipe in, you're putting a loan on yourself. So I essentially put myself in $30,000 worth of loans. But in my head, I was just buying stuff mm-hmm. and stuff made me happy and spending money felt good. And I still feel that money should and can be enjoyed. But my motto now is I have two. And for the debt free or die trying, it is that you can live life and live debt free. And those are not mutually exclusive goals. And my other motto used to be, you can spend less than you earn. And I just stopped there. But recently I changed it or earn more than you spend. But most people don't do either one. They just spend until the money runs out and they hope that the next check comes before the money runs out. And that is a very unhappy and I've done it life to live because you're technically one check away from bankruptcy where every expense, every unexpected plan is disastrous because you haven't planned for it and you're not ready for it. So every day is a rainy day. So after you were in all that debt, you were falling out of control. What happened to make you realize I need to do something differently, figure something else out? Well, it was two things. Number one, I was working two or three jobs and people who have done this or people who are living this can relate. It's actually amazing how much money you can spend before it has an impact on your day to day life. So even when I had $30,000 over my head, I was only making $19,000 at my job, but I was making minimum payments. So I'm like, oh, you know, it, it just feels like it's not really that big of a deal. And I don't even think at that time I had a grasp of how much debt I truly owed because like most people, I wasn't even tracking it. And then it got to a point where you get to that quote unquote balloon payment where all the minimum payments across all these credit cards and this time multiple loans that I have in the car are too large for me even to make the minimal payment. And I'm working three jobs at this point. I was in my early 20s. And I'm like, wow, all I do is work and it's still not enough to make the minimum payments. And then the what I call rock bottom chapter in the book was, and Rich knows this story, I actually reached out for another consolidation loan at a point where I had waited so long and denied and basically was sitting in denial that if I did not get this consolidation loan, I did not know how I was going to make my bills the next month. And so I'm sitting on this phone call to an individual in a call center, and there's nothing wrong with call center jobs, but he was basically indifferent to my plight, where the answer to this phone call is going to decide the next five, 10 years of my life. And it felt like shit. (laughs) And I don't know if it was an extension of how he treated me or, you know, this was a situation I had placed myself in, but that night on the verge of begging and almost tears, I was like, I will never put myself in this position again. So it was two factors. I guess I'm saying it wasn't a choice. My back was against the wall. And so I had to make a change in my lifestyle. And what I try to encourage people is don't let it come to that. Be proactive, I think, is the theme of the discussion that we're having here. Right. Change before you hit rock bottom. Yeah. Proactive versus reactive. And I was living a very reactive lifestyle. So then what did you do differently now to dig yourself out of that? Well, at that time, that's the funny point. I had no idea. I can look back in hindsight now, but in going through it, I never knew I was going to write a book. You know, podcasts didn't exist. And so I just made the mental decision to make a change. And people, I think, gravely underestimate that. 
And that's why I kind of say, I know I can talk about this because I was an extreme spender. And I talk about on the show is I think most people kind of break along the personality types like introverts and extroverts. They're spenders and savers. I'm a natural spender. So what I had to do was one, learn. And at that time, I literally wrote it down. Then I started using Excel. So I started upgrading it. It's actually amazing to me how many tools are available to people now that didn't even exist. That's the benefit of being a senior millennial. I'm like, back in my day, yeah, I was writing on pen and paper, boy, under the lantern candle with my little quill pen. But I literally pulled out an Excel spreadsheet and I started looking at my budget. And it was devastating. I didn't even realize how much debt I had. I pulled my credit report for the first time. That's something I had never even done. I didn't even know it was something I could get access to. <laughs> uh, and I pulled my credit report. And by the way, you're entitled to three credit bureaus for free each year. So I pulled my credit report and I was overwhelmed by how much debt I owed because when you're making those minimum payments, most people don't look at that top line. They just look at that bottom line. What is owed this month? They don't look at what is owed over the course of the next 10, 15 or 20 years in some cases. So I was just looking at that bottom line. Can I make this bottom line payment? So I started paying over the minimal payment, number one. I started with a flat fee and I made it up. I was like, I'm just going to put $25 over the minimum payment. That helped me pay down some debt. So I finally had some room in my budget. At this time, I was still working two jobs, working a part-time job, my full-time job. And then I went out and actually got a debt calculator, which I said, these tools are widely available now. I still like Bankrate. They're not the most intuitive, but they are probably the most comprehensive tools out there. NerdWallet has a great debt payment tool. And again, CNN Money has a debt payment tool. But again, if you Google debt calculator, there's at this point really no limit to what's available. Once I finally put a plan in place, what I tell people is the plan is the easy part. Like I talked about earlier, you can put a budget together in probably five minutes, 15 minutes. You got to go find some documents. And I've done this with Rich. We literally walk through it. And then you probably need another 15 minutes to put a debt plan together. Most people never take those first two steps. And the hardest plan will be sticking to the plan. So the plan in totality took me maybe an hour because it was my first time going through it and I had to learn all these things for myself. And then I spent the next three to seven years paying off the 72 hours when I bought that car with rims. And if we want to flashback all the way to college, I got my first credit card for a t-shirt I don't even own anymore. <laughs> you know, so I spent $30,000 for a t-shirt and I think I got a yo-yo. For some reason, I remember getting a yo-yo. I don't even know how to yo-yo, but I was like so proud and accomplished of myself that I got over on this credit card company with all this free swag. And I think I lost in the grand scheme of that war. It's good to see your transformation. And you're right. The plan is almost the easy part. Yes, it takes action to do that plan, but it's really about following through, right? The follow through on that. Yeah. And I think what I would say now, and I purposely named it this, is the book is called Debt Free or Die Trying, not debt free until inconvenient, not debt free until I don't want to do it no more. It's like, <laughs> it's, I'm going to be debt free. I'm going to die trying. And I feel like when you approach it with that type of determination or whatever motivation it may be, what I tell people, and even to this day is actually something someone told me, was if you didn't help me make it, don't tell me how to spend it. This is my money. If I want to be on a budget, if I don't want to be on a budget, that is my choice to make. But if you are unhappy with the circumstance you are in, struggling from paycheck to paycheck, unhappy every two weeks or four weeks, then you, I would recommend, need to make a change. And this is one path or way to making that change. So that is not a lifestyle that you have to live. Mm -hmm. I like putting that on people, making them accountable to follow through. So are you debt free totally now? 
Well, in typical lesson unlearned fashion, I did go out and buy a newer car with bigger rims. <laughs> but uh, it's actually what I tell people now. And again, I, I'm not a minimalist by any means. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I tell people is I think money is actually meant to be enjoyed. So after I did make all those sacrifices and that first car I bought with rims, uh, I actually drove for 12 years. And that's another thing I say. I usually use a budget allocation system now. So I use percentages. So Because of all those positive changes I made, my car loan rate and my credit score had been so high at that time was like one point. They made me an offer of one point four five percent. And then because I think that was over 36 months, the offer I went with was one point nine five percent. So most people, when they're looking at car loans, they're like talking five, six, seven percent, thousands of dollars. So even though I'm be paying off this car loan, that's number one, a choice I made. I bought a car within my budget. I know my budget (laughs) and I stick within it. As I talk about on the show, on the months which I am more responsible, I live on about 50 percent of my budget. I know what it is. I know what the income's going out. I automate everything. Rich knows and the listeners have heard by the second of the month, everything's paid. And that's putting the personal back in personal finance. That's easy for me because what I used to do is, oh, I'm just going to leave it in the bank. I'm going to pay the bills throughout the month and I'm just going to learn to be responsible. And like my natural personality is not to be responsible. If I see money, I want to have fun with it. So I need to get all the responsible money out of my hands. I allocate 18 percent towards my 401k, pay off all the bills on the second. So I know whatever I do with the remaining money, I could put it in another interest bearing account and do all these responsible things. But if I do not, I've already handled all the responsible things I need to do by the second of the month. Mm-hmm. So two through 31, I can be responsible. But again, you know, it's my personal finance. I have fun. I enjoy it. I feel like it's meant to be enjoyed. Right. And I've worked hard to get where I am and try to share that with others. You work hard for your money and thus it should be enjoyed. You should not work hard for your money and then work hard to keep your money because you're living paycheck to paycheck. Like that. What kind of weird cycle is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It should work hard and then play hard. So, Rich, what about you? What's your money story? And I was sitting here thinking about this and I'm like, yo, I had about like $18,000 of credit card debt and I'd pay a little bit down. The balance would go back up. And for me, I didn't go out and make any big grand purchase. It was little stuff just over time. Like me saying, oh, you know what? I'll put this McDonald's on the credit card. Yeah, I'll pay that off. And then I don't do it. Or, oh, I'm going to buy this PlayStation or this other thing, or I'm just going to put that on the credit card for now. I'll come back to it. And then next thing you know, or I guess years later, I have an $18,000 credit card balance. And there was other things that were on there. You know, I'd made a cross-country move. I had gotten a different car. And so there was other stuff that played into that and the car note being something separate. But I did pay off my personal credit card debt earlier this year. And a big thing for me was that intentionality. So it was probably about two years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. But I just got to a point where I said, yo, I'm tired of worrying about what happens if I lose my job? How long can I live? Or I got tired of worrying about, am I ever going to be able to pursue the entrepreneurial dream if that's what I do down the road? And I really got to a point where I said, yo, I need to come up with the long term vision figure out what it is that I really want and stick to it. And once I made the decision that I want to put myself in a position to where if I go to work, that's because I want to go to work. That made everything else a lot easier. And I didn't just set that goal. I put a timeline on it. And I do work at a place where I'm fortunate enough that I have great benefits and people are well compensated and stuff like that. So when I got a bonus, big chunk of that went towards debt. 
When I got stock that I could cash out, I put a big chunk of that towards debt. And before this was stuff that I would just let sit in a savings account or, you know, I would go out and buy something frivolously. But once I got intentional about it, I said, yo, I want this personal credit card debt gone. And from that point forward, every time I got a big chunk of money, I immediately put that toward the credit card and I ended up paying them off in, I mean, probably two years, a little bit more than that, which looking back, I'm like, wow, I don't think I've ever been that responsible in my whole life. And it ended up working out. And so, yes, now currently I am still free of personal credit card debt. I do have a car note, but that is also within budget. And even that, I'm looking to pay that off ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people are going to hear this and they're like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and I get it because when you're in the mix, if I had gone back even now to my you know 20 something year old self and just like, hey, you're doing a lot of mental math right now. Why don't you try something different? You'd be like, no, you know, this is what life is. And I think people actually I know people gravely underestimate how much that change can be when you make that mental change and you reprioritize what's important in your life. And even if I was wrong, which I know I'm not, but let's say I was and I know I'm not because I've literally done the math about it. Talk about it on the show. This is literally what our show is about. But I've been telling people lately because I've been trying to think probably the greatest obstacle or one of the greatest obstacles for most people is actually themselves. So I'm trying to overcome people whose greatest obstacle is themselves. And I would say for starters would be probably an 80, 20 budget. And for some people who have no budget at all, it might even be 90, 10. So living on 90% of your income. And then number two, try for 90 days, try for 90 days. And if I'm wrong and you don't pay off a bill or make some difference or pay down an account. And to Rich's point there, a lot of these calculators, they'll tell you exactly how much you need to pay each month. So there are excuses, but there are valid ones and there are invalid ones. So when you see the exact math behind it, like I want to be out of debt in 36 months and it's like, okay, pay this amount. (laughs) And you can plug in your credit card, you can plug in your school loan, you can plug in the interest rate, whatever factor you think is holding you back, you can plug those all in and it will say, pay this amount. And then again, 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. the plan is the easy part. But I would say, okay, if that's difficult, try following it for just 90 days. And I think most people want to see this aha moment. Like, what was your great awakening? You know, we watch all these Disney movies and we, we, when did you find the glass slipper? And for me, it was the first time I saw a bill that I'd been paying the minimum on for literally since college, three years at zero. I was like, wow, I have something here that is proven to work. I'm looking at a bill in my hand at zero dollars. I think most people need to see that to get that win. Right. And you know what I like about your guys' perspective is that what I talk about is reaching financial freedom and financial independence. Right now, I'm an aggressive saver and investor of my income. And so the goal for me is to save and invest as much as possible to build up my investments. So that way I can choose, like you guys are saying, to work or not. It's my choice to walk away from a job that I'm not completely 100% happy with. So there are some people who are listening to you right now. I'm like, good to hear. It's okay to enjoy a car or it's okay to still have a car note that I'm working towards paying. I don't have to be super frugal. I think some of my audience will appreciate that perspective, that it's actually possible to be responsible with your finances, but then not go to the edge where you're being super, super frugal and then not necessarily enjoying what some might just be, you know, enjoying a car. So I think that's important to note. While probably some of my listeners are clutching their pearls like a car note, <laughs> I think I think it's a what good perspective. <laughs> so the people who are super frugal and able to do that power to them. But for me, going super frugal is like going on a diet. 
So it's like, yeah, I'm great for a few months. You know, I get in super dope shape. But when I fall off, I fall off. And I've had that happen with diets, obviously, but I've had that happen with money, too, where I tried to be super frugal for an extended period of time. Something tumultuous happens in life. And then next thing you know, I'm buying, buying, buying. And so I'll admit it. Sometimes I can be an emotional spender when things aren't going so well. I go and get myself some retail therapy, though it's usually not shoes. I actually didn't start buying shoes really till this year, but that's a different story. I go and buy gadgets, electronics. And so it's really about doing what works best for you and knowing yourself. So, yeah, if you're a natural saver, then, yeah, that's going to be easy for you. But if you're a natural spender, it's going to require that much more effort for you to do the same thing that someone else is doing where it's like, oh, that's just second nature to them. So you have to make sure that even in terms of even in terms of the systems that you're putting in place for yourself. Like I know that if I just use sticky notes and me and Marcus have talked about this or if I just use a calendar board as my method of paying bills and my method of managing all my money. And I leave it to me to manually put things in envelopes and move things around to different accounts. That's not going to work for me. I have to automate because I know myself. And so that's why a big thing that's actually helped me save more money has been digit. Now there's been a lot of debate about them having a, a 299 fee. And I wrote a blog post about that. I'm like, Hey, if a 299 fee allows me to save an additional $2,000, I will happily walk away with you know $19,997. And I actually found that out where when I started using Digit, I thought that there was money I didn't have. I'm like, oh, I can't save more than this. And then I'd watch the account grow and I'd be like, yo, where'd this extra money come from? I didn't think I had that. And so that's why I have to put these types of tools and systems in place, because if I leave it to myself as responsible as I can be in other aspects of life, I'm going to miss things. I'm not going to save as much as I possibly could. So I really encourage people, whether you're a natural saver or spender, don't try to model someone else's financial or professional success. Do what works best for you. Mm, Yeah, that's powerful. Be honest with yourself about who you are, what triggers you, what works best for you, and find the system that you can work with. Definitely. Yeah, an aha moment that we had on the show, I try not to ostracize myself from the debt, debt-free and the fire and you know personal finance community, but I've definitely softened my approach because I've been on both sides. I've been debt-free and I've been living paycheck to paycheck. And in the grand scheme of things, they're roughly the same if you are not unhappy and you don't know your reason why. So a question I've been asking lately, and I actually asked Rich on, on the show, was why do you want to be out of debt? It's both good and bad. One of the good things about our generation is I think we are becoming more personally savvy and more personally finance conscious. But I think the bad of it is some people want to be debt free so they can stunt on the gram so they can put a credit score up on Facebook. And I'm like, why are you coming at me, bro? (laughs) And I'm like, yo, um, that will be a short term happiness. And in fact, it will be a very short term happiness if you don't get the likes that you think you're going to get, which you probably won't because <laughs> people are going to see your credit score and zero debt. And they can be like, yo, my credit score ain't at that level. And my debt ain't looking like that. Dislike, thumbs down or ignore. <laughs> and But I asked that question because the part that might get me ostracized, and there's a whole big debate about this, but this is my personal opinion about good debt and bad debt. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter which category it is because it is a choice. And the bigger, most relatable debt for most, I'd say, millennials is student loan debt, which is actually something that I don't deal with. And I was actually surprised that everyone didn't have a credit card because that's all that I've known. Actually, only one in three millennials has a credit card. This stat blew my mind. We Millennials have the least amount of credit cards of any demographic age group. 
Mm. Every age group is 50% or more, and millennials have less credit cards. One, and I mean, some of that might be reflecting our age, but a lot of it's actually reflected if we can't afford them and we are scared of them. I was on a show recently, and they said that they had done a study. I think it was Go Banking Rates. They're more scared of credit cards than they are of debt. Excuse me, I got that backwards. It is something to have a conscious, healthy knowledge of, but you don't need to fear credit cards more than debt. Credit cards aren't going to hide on your bed and like <laughs> they're not the boogeyman. You know, there's no movie about a credit card killer in the woods. So it is a reasonable fear to have, but it's not so serious that it should be impacting your life in a way where you can't live the life that you want to live. And so not to be a hypocrite, I'd say, generally speaking, credit cards are bad debt, but because more people can relate to student loans, student loans are in the trillions, credit cards in the billions. That's what a T and a B, just to give you the difference there. That's a lot more zeros on the other one. And I actually look at student loans as that's an investment in yourself. Some people would be like, man, I just graduated. I can't get a job. This is a poor investment. I'm not getting on the return. But no one can take your college degree away from you. Well, I'll put an asterisk on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 99.8% no one's going to be able to take your college degree away from you. So you will benefit from that for the rest of your life. So yes, student loans are high and expensive. And yeah, I don't want to get on the whole rabbit hole of the cost of college education. But credit cards, they tend to be, as Rich talked about, and I also share in, it's a spending therapy. It's emotional therapy. It's generally buying things you don't need because you want to live outside of your means and the immediate gratification need. Whereas I look at student loans and by extension in some cases, and especially if you buy within your budget for a car or a vehicle, if you need a vehicle to get to work, you literally cannot get to work without having a means of transportation, then why are you feeling guilty if you get a car within your means and you have responsibly managed your credits? I recommend that people use a credit union to get those low interest loans, then You've made a responsible, conscious decision within your budget. Move on. (laughs) That's nothing to have this heartburn where you're tossing and turning at night. So, again, really the big thing that I've been getting back to is putting the personal back in personal finance. This is your money. No one else is making it for you. No one is going to your job, punching your clock and putting in that eight to five or that salary. So the choices you make with spending it, as long as you make informed decisions, to me, that's the end of the story. And you can continue to listen to these podcasts and these shows and read these books. But I encourage you to make your own choices in doing so. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's actually a really good note to wrap up because I feel like we talked about a lot here that listeners can definitely, when we mentioned a lot of links that I will link in the show notes and good tools for everyone. There's a lot of things for people to think about, like, you know, having them figure out what's their profile, what works best for them. And like you said, being intentional about your money, about your spending and what works best for you. So with that, where can people find more about you? I know you were just featured on CBS, right? Yes, you can visit paychecksandbalances.com slash CBS now. We actually had a panel discussion. If you, you know, didn't like my voice, there's four other experts on the panel <laughs> talking about student loans, investment decisions, retirement. So again, you can visit paychecksandbalances.com slash CBS now. It is a video and it's streamed live, but you can catch the playback. You can find me on Twitter at the Instagram with one T. I'm also on Instagram with two T's. That's actually how you spell my name at the Marcus Garrett. And our show is at Pay Balances pretty much everywhere. Uh, Website's paychecksandbalances.com. And I'll turn it over to Rich. I normally do his introduction, but he can do his outro. (laughs) 
Yeah. So Facebook is the one place where it's Facebook paychecks and balances. So you could find us there. As far as myself, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at I am Rich Jones. And on Facebook, I think at the real Rich Jones. I actually haven't looked at what that URL is in a really long time. I just swipe and log in and, and that's life. But <laughs> those are all of the places that you can find us. And if you want to drop us a note, you want to reach both of us or one of us, you can hit us at info at paychecksandbalances.com. Right. And again, I will link everything, your contact and all that in the show notes for people to really reach out and listen to you guys, because I mean, I really enjoy your podcast. So I want to just thank you guys again for coming on, sharing all this knowledge. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. And we I know we were joking beforehand uh, that I just uh, got home from work. So I'm glad I was able to survive this podcast for those of us out there doing the nine to five and then coming home to make the dreams happened. It was supposed to be something that sounded a lot more inspirational, but I failed there. So I'm going to just go with I was it. hustling. I get it. We get it. I jumped on the herbal tea with honey for the win. So, you know, I, I recommend that for the senior millennials. They have to delay podcast or listen to a bed. late podcast. Yeah, right. I might be up all night now. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for coming on. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. So how was that? I really hope you enjoyed that lighthearted but very informative episode with Rich and Marcus. I really advise you go check out their podcast if you're not already a fan. Again, I'll have all the episode show notes at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 28. And as you listen to the podcast or reflect back on what you liked, think about how you can apply some things to your own finances. What can you do better? Can you go in and ask for that raise? Can you do the research to understand what it is that you're actually worth in the job that you're in? Also, can you look at your expenses and really see if they're aligned with your goals? Because obviously, when you get that right, when you get that income and expenses right, everything just moves faster for you when it comes to reaching your financial goals. And so again, thank you so much for joining me for listening to the podcast. If you are listening and enjoyed it, Go and rate, review, and subscribe in iTunes, and then just share us. You know, I always say this, just go share with your family and friends and on social media. You know, I look forward to chatting with you next week. And I didn't mention this at the beginning of the podcast, but I'm also a weekly personal finance expert on News 12. That's a local channel here, so in New York, on News 12 Bronx and News 12 Brooklyn, and I'm really proud of what I've been able to do there also, because again, this is my first time on TV, these experiences, and they've been going really great. And so if you want to check that out, if you're not local, if you don't have the network News 12, that's totally fine. I actually link all the segments that I do for News 12 in my show notes, and they're on my site. And so you'll be able to check those out if you just want to kind of see what I've been up to and the kind of information that I'm sharing. So once again, I hope you have a wonderful week. I will speak to you next time.